Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Flip over to Hebrews 10. And uh, Philip, you can put the... You can just put the King James up because I'm just going to kind of make a point out of that. So Hebrews 10, you know, I, I love the book of Hebrews because whoever the writer is, some think it's Paul, some think it's Apollos. It's not very clear. Sounds like Paul, but then in other areas it sounds like it could be somebody else. But uh, either way, it's in the Bible and it's good. I love it because it goes through this process of showing the difference between the Old and the New Covenant, that the Old is passed away, that the new has come in and been established, that the old was set up with the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system and all the laws to point to Jesus. All of the sacrifices that would happen under the old covenant priesthood was a foreshadowing of Jesus, what he would fulfill, not just carnally, but spiritually and eternally, specifically sacrifice. So he gets to Hebrews 10 and he starts talking about God's saying, you know, I didn't really even desire sacrifice. He says, I've got a cattle on a thousand hills. I don't really need you to be bringing me your calves. If I want a cow, I'll just go pick one off of these thousand hills full of cows that I own. It's not really about sacrifice, but it is about the blood. It is about the blood of Jesus having lived a perfect and sinless life to qualify to be the spotless sacrifice for your sin and the sin of the world to pass into the grave and take that blood back into heaven and exchange that life for heaven's life and bring that to us. That's what the blood is about. The life is in the blood. He took that blood up there so he could bring that blood, that life back here. I should get at least one amen on that one. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the gospel. Have you ever wondered why the blood? You know, I mean, have you ever thought about why? God, why? I get that you didn't want sacrifices, but why Jesus? Why such a brutal offering for sin in his body. And some people kind of pervert that and make you think that, uh, you know, questioning whether or not God was actually punishing Jesus on the cross. There is absolutely an exchange of the penalty for breaking the law in the cross on the body of Christ manifest in his body. Every single sin of the world manifest in his body. Man. And so then that blood gained redemption and he took it into heaven and offered it as a sacrifice once for all so that he could, because that's life, the life is in the blood. He went into that heavenly holy of holies before the Father and brought back eternal life for those who would receive him as the sacrifice. I mean, we, we can just go home now. <clears throat> so that's Hebrews. And he gets to the part in Hebrews 10 where he says, um, you know, God's not really interested in, in sacrifices, but the old covenant sacrifices would remove sin temporarily only for that year under the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur sacrifice. The next year they'd have to do it all over again. I mean, if you were at the Day of Atonement sacrifice and you walked out and you stubbed your toe and you let one of those pretty little words fly out, it was saved up till the next year until that atonement was made again. Well, it's saying that the blood of bulls and goats can't remove sin from you. It only covers sin for a little while. Jesus can remove sin. Amen. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover your sin. It removes your sin from you. 
And it's sin when it's talked about in that area is not necessarily, it's not a verb, it's a noun. So it's not an action, it's a thing. God removes the thing of sin from you in your nature. So you literally become a new creature. Right. He removes your sin nature when he passed up into the heavens and you received that sacrifice, you have, then that exchange becomes active in you, right? It's, you're chosen in that from the foundation of the world. He says, I want this for everybody. But then further down in Ephesians 1, it says, when you believe, then you are sealed with that spirit of promise. And when you're sealed with that spirit of promise, that is your justification, your sanctification, and your redemption. So all of that, I, we're going to read a lot of the Bible today. Y'all okay with that? Yep. <clears throat> so in Hebrews 10, in verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make comers thereunto perfect. So say, the law cannot make me perfect. The law Amen. Now let's skip to verse 8, because I want to tell you about sanctification and perfection, and then we're going to talk about prayer. But I want you to know who you are and where you stand before God before we start talking about prayer. So verse 8, above what we just read when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, an offering for sin you would not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Who are we talking about? Jesus. By the which will, so by this will, we are sanctified. This is how you are sanctified by the offering of him when he establishes the second. So uh, by, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once. Now, for all... You can't really tell on here, but for all is italicized in the King James, which means it's not in there. But it does apply to all. But he's talking more specifically about the individual. Under this priesthood, through the blood of Jesus, you're sanctified once. Verse 11, and every priest... And he's going back and forth comparing the old and the new so that they get a picture. He's talking to the Hebrews that were under this system of sacrifice. And every priest stands by daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And so from here forward, expecting till his enemies to be made his footstool. Now watch this. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So how are you sanctified? Verse 8. Verse 10, I mean. Through the offering of the body of Jesus. That's how you're sanctified. Verse 14. For by one offering, the offering of the body of Jesus, which is your sanctification, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So through the offering of Jesus, once you receive that, you are perfected forever. Amen. 
I really don't know that you can make it any more clear than that. <laughs> so sanctified means separate or purified internally. So you're cleansed internally. Uh, actually, that's, um, yeah, that's sanctified. Perfected means complete, bring to an end, or finished. Really, it's all saying the blood of Jesus cleans you and you're done. Amen. You're complete. We are complete in him. We stand purified, cleansed, washed, complete, accepted before him because of the one sacrifice that only had to be made once. And that is your completeness. Do you see that? So if you have a different translation, who has a different translation than what we're reading? Somebody reading a different one? How does the NIV end verse 14? For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay. So holy and sanctified can be interchanged. They mean basically the same thing, set apart, purified internally. Have you ever heard this passage and it's, you're taught progressive sanctification? Yes. Meaning that God gives you the Spirit as a promise and then you're going to become more and more and more sanctified and you become more and more and more holy. That's called progressive sanctification. And translations like that, and there's lots of translations that have that for those who are being made holy or for those who are being sanctified. It sounds like it's saying that sanctification is offered to you, but you're not really fully sanctified yet. You get there by keeping the law or you get there to full holiness through your performance or you're holy, but you become a little less holy when you sin. You ever been taught that? Have you ever believed that? Yeah. Do you believe that now? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, you just simply don't understand the offering of the body of Christ as your sanctification. It's the sacrifice, you know. That's the way. The Hebrews would have understood this. They would have realized, man, this is, this is a legal transaction that happens under the law. And under the new covenant, which is the spiritual eternal law, Jesus is the one and only sacrifice, the one and only offering for your sin to make you stand before the Father sanctified, done, complete in Him. Is that good news for you? Do you believe that about yourself? Can you say, I am perfect, and not feel like, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I don't know about all that. Because if you say, I'm perfect, and then you think about your actions, you don't understand sacrifice. You don't understand true sanctification. So let me ask you, does this mean it's okay to sin? No. Thank you. <laughs> because this process actually sets you apart from the power of sin. If you live in this as your reality, sin has no dominion over you, has absolutely no power over you. The only time you ever choose sin is when you forget who you are. It's just so true. And this whole process puts you in that place where grace is alive within you. Grace is God's divine influence on your heart. He, he's written his law in your mind and, in, and on your heart, his new law, the law of liberty, 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what he's written on your heart. Not those old covenant external performance oriented rules, but this law of freedom, this law of liberty, this law of who you are now in Christ. That's, where, that's the law that we live in. And he's given you a new heart that knows exactly how to hear his voice and follow him to testify of this recreated being that you are to live out what He's made you to be. So, then let's talk about prayer. Because prayer under the new covenant manifests out of our union with God rather than going up to Him and having to come back down as an answer. So, God answers prayer out of heaven, but where's heaven? Where's his kingdom? I mean, he said it. <coughs> My kingdom does not come with outward observation. The kingdom of heaven is within. We're going to read where it's in you to speak it out of you. So you think about Daniel, right? Man, the church has got a identity crisis <laughs> happening in that they don't understand what we are under this new covenant in the body, in the blood of Christ. So we pray mixed covenant prayers because our identity is a mixture of the two covenants. You think about Daniel, Daniel in uh, chapter 10. Daniel prays and his prayers go up and then it takes 21 days to get the answer. And man, you should read, go back and read Daniel 10 and read the description of this angel that shows up. Man, this guy's skin is like a topaz and he's got this gold sash and his eyes are burning and man, and those guys are hanging out, you know. They're, they're around here somewhere. They're with us going for to protect you. Man, so that's Old Covenant because man was separated from God because man was sin at his, sinful at his nature. So we would pray. The prayers would go up, God would answer, send the answer back, but then sometimes there would be that hindrance from the enemy in between your answer coming to you. See, under the old, we would pray, our prayers would go up to God and watch, He would respond and either send a sign or a prophet or an angel or show up personally. And in the old, that process could be hindered. We still, though, in church, think that we're under the old covenant in how we expect to hear from God and receive from God. I mean, how often do we wait for a sign? How often do we put more stock in what the prophet says rather than connecting with God in our own hearts? I'm not trying to invalidate that stuff, but realize where heaven is. You're not praying to heaven to try to get the answer to come. It's in you. He's speaking to you constantly. You know, so we do those things now. It's, it's, we wait for a sign. We wait to hear a word from a prophet. Sometimes we're looking for angels to show up to give us a sign. And the big one is, we're waiting for God to show up. If you're waiting for God to show up, you need to have a brain transplant and realize you are actually under the new covenant. You understand what I'm saying? 
Now, again, I'm not invalidating words and all that stuff. We want that. We want to be, get better at that, but we want to speak from an identity perspective. But man, more than me giving you a word or teaching you how to get words, I want to teach you how to hear from God for yourself. Because the kingdom of heaven is within. He is your once and forever sacrifice to make you purified and justified and cleansed and standing before him in acceptance in that heavenly holy of holies because of his blood. And he is speaking to you. But see, we mystify that process and then even externalize it and we wait to hear. You know, even, even within ourselves, we wait to hear God. God knows what you need before you ever even ask. And He has already spoken to you the promise. He is leading you and guiding you into all truth. He is reminding you what He has taught. He is telling you what the Father is saying. Now, don't get all religified and jump into this state of mind where you're trying to hear an answer, but just trust that, okay, as I become aware of my position, and not just position, but your identity in God, I am accepted, I am sanctified, I am redeemed, I am loved, and you have that encounter with God, man, you will make decisions directly from the throne of God you will make decisions that have been spoken to you directly from the heart of God. Now, it's good if a prophet stands outside and tells you a word, and you're like, okay, yes, thank you, Father, that's confirmation for me. If a sign happens, you're like, okay, yes, that, that gives me peace because that's kind of what I was already thinking, and I just wasn't really confident and settled in that, so God showed me that sign. Yes, that's confirmation for me. But if you get a sign and it feels totally foreign outside of you, be careful. I'm not saying it's not God, but just God speaking to you. You know, and some of you have may, may have said this before, but those that do step out in the gifts, have you ever heard or said of yourself, you know, it's easier for me to hear God for other people than it is for myself? I, man, that's a problem. <laughs> so, several things changed in the new. All of God's promises are yes and amen. We're seated in that spirit of promise. We are, we are raised with Christ, seated in heavenly places. We are hidden with Christ in God. You know, these are covenantal uh, truths that we have to have. We have the mind of Christ, like Dave was talking about, uh, to come into agreement with his promises. Under the new God is for us. Nothing can separate us from his love. And believers have become joint heirs qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. All that stuff's already true of you. So based on that, jump on down to uh, Romans 10. And let's just kind of look at what prayer actually looks like under the new covenant. Again, I'll read this statement. We pray under the new, the, the answer manifests out of our union with God rather than filtering through a dimension where the enemy can touch it. See, the devil can't touch your prayers until you speak them out. Because it happens between you and God inside here. If you're praying to God out here, just relocate. <laughs> He's in me. God is in me. Yeah. Say that. Christ is in me. Christ Man, we have, to be, we have to become so convinced <clears throat> of this. So let me, let me just kind of give you this illustration. You know, under the old, we would pray 
And just think about your prayers going up and you would know, have to like fill up the bowls of heaven and then tip and give us the answers. And, and people are still waiting for that kind of stuff. There are people gathered in churches right now praying to fill up the bowls of heaven so that an answer will tip over and spill out onto the earth. Man, he already poured out his spirit upon all flesh. That bowl is running over and it's in you. The spirit of life is in you rising up, giving strength to your physical body. It is a wellspring of life welling up unto eternal life in you. You don't have to convince God of anything. He's already moved in Jesus and given you everything he's got. So because we have a mixed covenant identity, we think that we're still praying out here and God's fighting with the devil out here trying to get to us. See, the only way the devil can hinder your prayers now under the new is as you believe and faith rises up within you and you begin to act or you begin to speak, or you begin to pray and confess that stuff outwardly, the enemy is standing out there waiting, watching, to shove it back in your face and say, oh yeah, the last time you ever tried that, this happened. The last time you tried to believe that, then this happened. You think that's going to happen for you? Do you remember what you did yesterday? That's how the enemy can hinder your prayers. It's not that it filters through his hands and comes to you. It's like he's standing out there yelling at you and screaming at you, like a little kid throwing a tantrum and we're like, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to stop and coil back into myself and I'm going to go this way. And it's like, no, man, you just punch him in the face and keep going. Right. Amen. You, you believe unto manifestation through that lie. You pierce him. You know, we, he's already defeated. He's already beaten. The only power that he has is that. That's the power of the enemy is he stands outside of you and yells lies at you, and it's your choice whether you want to believe it or not. And too often we believe it because we don't know what has happened in us because of the blood of Jesus. If, it's, if Jesus paid for it, it's yours now. Amen. Right now. <clears throat> By his stripes, we're healed. He is our provider. He is our wisdom. We're waiting for an answer from God. Man, Jesus is your wisdom. Where's Jesus? He's made himself one with you. He's in your spirit. You have the mind of Christ. He tells you what the Father is saying. There's nothing that you lack. It's not about getting information from God. It's about coming into agreement with who you are, and then you speak and live from that. Man, this place just changes. It will reflect what you speak into it. All of earth, you know, some sections of Christianity are waiting for the world to just blow up. Aren't they? You know, on that, I tell you, when that fourth blood moon happens, boy, you better watch out. It's done. We're done. We're cooked. The world is set to be destroyed by fire. And it's going to blow up and explode. And we're going to run around crazy. I mean, you know, that's what it puts you in this this fear state. There are groups of people shacked up on acres, acreages of property waiting for it to happen. I don't know how it's all going to play itself out, but we don't have to be worried about it. We don't have to be afraid of it. It's going, whatever happens is going to happen, and we'll be with him forever. Amen? Amen. So half of Christianity is waiting for the world to explode. But the world is waiting for us yeah. to explode. Right. 
all of creation groans and travails for the manifest sons of God, for us to manifest our sonship, for us to manifest those promises that God has made to us because you are a blood-bought, sanctified child of God. You're perfect and holy, not because of your actions, but because of what the blood of Jesus has done. So Romans 10, 10, and there's a couple of principles here, and I, we're, we're going to read the other half of the Bible right here. Y'all ready? So we got, we got five minutes. <laughs> Romans 10, I'm going to start in verse 4, but there's a principle that I want you to see here. Keeping in mind that salvation, the word soteria, saved, the word sozo, means what? Well done. <laughs> Saved, healed, made whole, delivered, restored, kept safe, rescued, prospered, sealed, saved, complete. Remember that part where perfection, that, that you are made perfect through sanctification, and sanctification is in the offering of the body once. So your perfection, your completeness is already complete which means that all of those things that God has for you or ever will have for you, they're already in you now. They're just spiritual. But spirit manifests Amen. unto life where you can share and partake of that divine nature that God has promised that you could. So there's a principle here, Romans 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Do you believe? Yep. Yep. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. So faith righteousness, or someone that understands that you're righteous by faith in the sacrifice, speaks this way, says not in its heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to say, to bring Christ down from above. Isn't that what some people are waiting for? People to rise up into heaven and convince him to come back down? Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what says it? Faith righteousness is what he's talking about here. Faith, the person that understands faith righteousness from the heart. What does it say? The word is near you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now this is not just talking about being born again, getting your ticket punched for heaven. This is the model of how we pray now. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be healed, made whole, delivered, restored, kept safe, rescued, provided for. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and this is the principle, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So with the mouth you confess unto experiencing this salvation. Now what does confess mean? Jim, you know. To say the same thing. Confess is not going to God and saying, I'm sorry, I'm a dead, worthless sinner. I confess that I'm worthless, you know. Confession means to say the same thing. To confess your sin means to say the same thing that God says about your sin. What does God say about your sin? It's removed. It has no power over you. It is not the standard with which God is measuring you with. 
That is Jesus, and he deems you righteous because you're in him. So you say, confessing of sin, this thing has no power over me. I, I, you know, be real with God. You know, that sin opportunity comes, you're like, I really want to do this. But I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your grace is way more abundant in this than this, than this little sin that I want to mess around with or whatever it is. Do you see that? So confession unto salvation is saying the same thing that God says about you. It's with the heart that we believe unto righteousness. Righteousness means as it should be. So in your heart, you believe on this sacrifice and you are put in a place where you should be before God, Amen. as it should be. So with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now watch this. That's righteousness in action. So when you confess with your mouth and it manifests unto salvation, then this world is as it should be too. Righteousness bears fruit, and then this place becomes as it should be too. So you should be healed. Why? Because Jesus paid for it. And he prayed, as it is in heaven, so on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you going to be healed in heaven? Where's heaven? I know some of these concepts is like, you know. Are you saying that we should never be sick? Yes. Did I say that loud enough? Are you saying that healing is 100% God's will all the time? Yes. Why doesn't it happen? This heart thing. It's this heart thing. I'm not saying you don't have enough faith where you've got to grow your faith and exercise your faith and build it up. But something inside you is not connecting with heaven and it's hindering the manifestation. Not, I'm not saying you're not getting healed because you're in sin. It's not about your performance. It's about your belief. See, rather than making it about I have to believe to become healed, it's not about that. It's believing on Jesus and as we believe on the finished work of Jesus to the degree that we believe in just how complete his work is, that will manifest in your life. So it's not about you trying to get something from God. It's about you believing who Jesus is and what he is within you and then allowing that to manifest so that God is glorified and Jesus gets his reward. That Jesus gets what he paid for. Jesus paid for your healing. Jesus paid for your provision. So provision and healing is not something that we've got to convince God to give us. It's something that we want to stop hindering and allow God to fully glorify himself in us. That's where healing comes from. You, when you allow God to glorify himself in you. Man, that's good stuff. Second Corinthians chapter one. I'm going to start in verse 18. So the principle there for new covenant prayer is not begging, asking God, if it be thy will, if it, if Jesus paid for it, it's yours now. And the process is you believe in your heart unto as you should be unto righteousness. And then with your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You want to experience salvation actively ongoing in this life. Your mouth's involved. Now, not to the degree that you got to wake up every day and try to confess, confess stuff to make it true. 
You ever done that? You ever been in that circle where it's like, okay, I'm going to say this, say this, say this, say this, and it's going to, it's going to happen. I'm going to force God's hand and it's going to happen. No, it's already true. But your mouth is the connection between your heart and your heart is the connection between heaven and this realm. So what are you saying in your mouth? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. It says that those that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And if you kind of put that in normal language, it says you will eat the fruit of what your tongue loves, whether it be life or death. And you have life and death in the power of your tongue. I remember this story one time. This, this lady just was constantly dealing with a, a low-grade fever. And they couldn't figure out what it was. There wasn't any infection in her body. There wasn't any, you know, any kind of issue. She wasn't on any kind of medication that was producing. The fever. They just could not figure it out. And so she just got to thinking about it and praying. And, and, and she realized for all her life she would say, that just burns me up. <laughs> Interesting, right? Now, I'm not throwing you in this position where it's like, don't say that. That's a negative confession. You know what I mean? Because you can get legalistic with anything. What I'm talking about is taking responsibility for your identity and guarding your heart and guarding your mouth. Not getting all tripped up and condemned and thinking that, you know, words are magic. But realizing that this place was created to respond to us. He gave us dominion over this place. Man, our words are powerful. Are they not? Just look at your kids. 2 Corinthians 1.18 But God is faithful. Man. Our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us, who, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanius and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him are they yes. Therefore also through him our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God and sealed us and gave us his spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So this, this uh, verse 20, where it says, for as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Put up the NIV version of that, if you would. I, I'm not exactly sure what it says, but it, it, it gives you a place where you can understand it a little bit better. It says, for no matter how many promises are made, they are yes. Can, can you, is that, that's not in, a, there we go. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. The amen is spoken by you to the glory of God. Now, what does amen mean? It means to establish it means let it be done. The, the picture is bricklaying. Every time you say amen, it's like put another brick there. That wall's getting thicker, stronger, taller, more fortified. Amen. The amen, amen is spoken. <laughs> so when you amen the promises, they're becoming more and more established in your life. 
to the glory of him. But the, isn't this very interesting? The amen is spoken by us. Are you amening the truth? Reaffirming, establishing the truth within you? Or are you amening what the world has told you who you are? Are you amening your failures? Are you amening your current difficult circumstances? What are you amening? <laughs> Think about it. In your heart, what do you say yes to? Do you say yes to the lie or do you say yes to the truth? Where have you compromised? That's your homework this week. How many of you have been doing the two-minute focus thing? There's a, there's a few. Did this message. I've gotten more feedback on that thing. You can take two minutes, pick a truth of God in any situation, and, and make sure that you're focusing on that thing for two minutes. Your mind will try to wander. It's kind of difficult in the beginning, but there's scientific research that tells that if you can, if you can distract yourself off of something and change your focus for just two minutes, the previous emotions will have run their course chemically within your body and you'll kind of be reset to have a new experience of whatever it is that you're focusing on now. And it only takes about two minutes. So I, man, I encourage you, make it a practice of whenever you're stressed, whenever you're feeling, you know, whatever it is, wake up and just take two minutes. Pick a promise because all the promises are yes, knowing that you're sanctified in Christ and just focus on it. That might turn into two hours of worship for you. That might turn into 30 minutes of reading the book of Romans and going, oh my gosh, I never even knew that was in there. And God's speaking to you, you know, and it's becoming alive within you. Or focusing, not trying, remember, I think we've done the, the church world an injustice in trying to pray and ask for healing, to try to pray and ask for God to do something. And he's like, I've already given it to you in Jesus. Is Jesus sick? Is he in you? Then therefore you should not be because as he is, so are you in this world. Now, don't get into all fear and condemnation and guilt and running out of here and beating yourself up because you're not healed. That's not the point because you've tried it that way and it doesn't work, does it? Guilt and condemnation will not produce the spirit the fruits of the Spirit. So just go ahead and just decide right now you're going to not be in guilt and condemnation. Just let that stuff go. You're not going to measure yourself from some charismatic, churchy perspective of what you should and shouldn't have, but you're going to focus on Christ in you and the condition that He is in within you and that you are in Him, and then that stuff manifests without you ever even asking for it without you ever even having to worry about if it's going to happen or not. Jesus brings it down to the parable of the sower sowing the word in Mark 4, Matthew 13. He says, the, the mystery of the kingdom is this. The condition of your heart determines the degree of the promises that you will experience in your life. And oh, by the way, this is how the kingdom works. So your heart is a, is a, is a factor in what you're going to experience. But God's bigger than your heart. Praise God. Your heart is a factor in the degree of the kingdom you're going to experience. And oh, by the way, here's how the kingdom works. It's like a farmer who casts seed into the ground. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. He doesn't know how it happens, but that seed produces after its own kind. That's how your healing comes. That's how your provision comes. Not because you're racking your brain trying to get God to tell you how to make it happen, but because you recognize who you are in Christ 
and it's just a byproduct. It is. I'm telling you. you. You wake up one day and you realize, oh, wow, I don't want that anymore. I, I don't have this struggle anymore. I don't feel that pain anymore because you have become so conscious of Christ within you and your sanctification in Him that it just bears fruit unto His glory. God is glorified when you experience His promises. Do you believe that? I mean, you know, some people get a little upset about this, like it's too good to be true or too much pressure. The only responsibility you have in this is to believe. So will you put yourself in a position where you believe God, you believe His Word, you believe on the finished work of Christ that He purchased you and sanctified you and made you perfect? Say, I am sanctified I am holy, I am perfect, I am complete in Christ. Amen? And you can do that. You can say that stuff and then check your heart and see what you feel. And if you feel something that's different, then you just realize, okay, I need to, I need to become, I need to repent, renew my mind in this particular area to where my identity is replaced by what Christ did within me. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for this salvation, for this complete salvation that you've given us in Jesus.